Hey there, listeners. Before we dive into the latest episode of Head Coach U, we wanted to say a big thanks to this week's sponsor, War Room. At War Room, they understand how difficult it is to keep track of rosters from recruiting to graduation, depth charts, communication, and even the transfer portal. Their tools are there to help you keep a clean and concise roster. War Room helps programs by creating custom tools for your team's needs, from Little League all the way up to every single Power 5 conference. Reach out now at www.collegewarroom.com, all one word, and let them help you on your championship run. Broncos use College War Room every step of the way, and now you can too. Now, with all that being said, let's dive into a great conversation on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. Bronco, how are you? I'm well, Brian. How are you doing? I am not doing too bad, and 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 I, I know everybody's used to having guests on uh, the, the podcast the last couple of weeks. Don't worry, we we have some some great ones coming up. But uh, did did want to kind of use this time on the on the calendar, take a little bit of a break from from talking with everybody, get back into some of your philosophies, uh, especially nowadays, because it is that most wonderful time of the year. At least for, at least for those of us uh, certainly sitting at home or, or covering a lot of these games, it, it's bowl season. We wanted to talk a little bit uh, about that right now, and and I'm kind of curious from from your perspective. I'll, I'll start you out with this. What was your favorite bowl memory? Uh, you went to 14 of them. You, you won seven of them. So, some memorable uh, games that you were actually involved in. Uh, I'm kind of curious, top of the mind for you, for you in terms of those post, postseason bowl games. Wow, that's a tough question. There, there are so many. Uh, I, I think that there might be two. And this has been similar to maybe my life and my career at this point. Even though there's been a large time span there's only a significant number of truly vivid memories that are lasting, which is, which is really strange how, how that works. Uh, it's as if our life is condensed into, um, you know, a five second or 10 second highlight reel, even though there's all this volume. I remember at Brigham Young University early on as we were having quite a bit of success. Uh, there was a stretch there where we were 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 10 and 3, 11 and 2. And we played at that point, um, Oregon and we played Oregon in the Las Vegas bowl. I think we might've gone to five or six Las Vegas bowls in a row. In fact, my- uh, five in a row, I, yeah. I had to look it up, which I, I guess was part of the tie-ins there. Then in the mountain West, you, you kind of had your, your destination pick for you, but interesting that you guys got stuck there, but uh, go, go, go ahead. <laughs> and, and I didn't view it as being stuck. It was a great experience. My kids though, were young and they used to ask. Uh, are we going to Christmas this year? So they they didn't actually associate Christmas with being home and Santa Claus and the tree. And they actually thought Christmas was going to play a football game like that. So we, we had to work a long time to reconstruct what Christmas really looked like. Anyway, uh, we played Oregon one year and this was the last year or ended up being the last year of Mike Bellotti, their head coach. And we won the game. Uh, I believe it was 38 to eight or 30 to eight. And I remember feeling a breakthrough moment and a pivotal moment in BYU's resurgence at that time, even though it might have been year four or five or six in my tenure, right? There are uh, metrics and tipping points along the way where you can feel maybe all the work and turning the flywheel eventually gains momentum and you feel it almost kick into gear. And after the game, as I was looking at friends and family from the podium and you know all the things that happened after the game, I saw individual faces almost in slow motion in this context of, yeah, this is a, a pivotal moment in this program's um, career or this program's uh, reconstruction. 
And then I would say similarly uh, at the University of Virginia, and these are the two most vivid at this point, at UVA in our third season, uh, we uh, were in Charlotte and playing South Carolina. And we had just returned to postseason play the year before. And this ended up being a shutout victory for UVA over South Carolina. And that wasn't a stretch. If you put it in context, UVA hadn't been ultimately what we accomplished there and hadn't qualified for five straight bowls in five straight years and over 22 years. And so that was just year two of this new cycle we were creating. There's one thing to, uh, to be invited to a game. There's another thing to, to show up and play well. That's another mark of maturity within the program. And that was just in year three at Virginia. And so I'd liken that to kind of a pivotal and breakthrough moment to what I experienced at Brigham Young. And you never know when those moments are coming. You're always hopeful. But I felt at the same time that that was happening. And sure enough, the following year, uh, we were in the Orange Bowl uh, at UVA. And so there are moments that sometimes you sense during the season. But what I found is more often than not, it's the last game of the previous season, which is your bowl game. And now, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this, the number of things to manage in postseason play in today's world, in today's calendar, uh, we could probably have two, three, four or five shows just about that. Uh, we, we definitely could. And we will get into to some of that for sure. But I, I do kind of want to go back to that that very first bowl experience that, there that you had at, at BYU. I mean, you guys make it to the bowl game. It had been a while for a couple of years since the Cougars had, had reached the postseason. You get to the the Las Vegas Bowl. You're your first time head coach. What is that experience like? As as you know, you, you're it's it's a brand new experience. Not only have you gotten through the season, but but now you have this new kind of way of practicing, new new kind of destination. You got to do a lot of media opportunities, a lot of things for your team to do there in, in Las Vegas. What was that whole experience like? Well, here here's the the part that you just touched on. That there's there's joy and elation, especially if it's a game that you were hoping and qualifying to work to achieve, right? Because there's different tiers. And when you when you reach a game that you might be representing um, your conference as conference champion, right? Or you might have a double digit year win that qualifies you. There's a, there's a special significance that way, not to take away from just qualifying period, because any win is hard. And anyone that, that discounts qualifying for a bowl game in today's world of college football, they just really don't grasp how hard it is to win. So here as a first time head coach, uh, it was all new. And I looked to the policy manual, which I, I still have to this day. I updated every single day as a head coach through 17 years. And I add new scenarios each time and, and document it like a journal and then develop policies for it. And here, here's one that I hadn't accounted for. And so certainly recruiting is going on at the same time. So your existing team, especially in the early bowl games, they're in finals. So this is uh, the backdrop and amateur sport against higher education, right? Those things are happening. That's first and foremost what these kids are supposed to do, which means, especially in finals week, there's more class conflicts. So the first challenge was um, how many of my players are available to practice and when and at what time. And so here's this routine that you have the entire year. And even though it was early in the morning for us, there were some finals that finals don't always match the class offering time. And so some of those, and what, what if, let's say 11 of your starters aren't available on a given day for practice. So the practice model per week was, was whack-a-mole-ish where you're trying to communicate and, 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 and look at the players you have available after this whole season to get them ready for a, a, a culminative and cumulative experience. 
but you're not able to practice at the same time and the same, same rhythm and the same cadence with the same players to prepare while finals were going on at BYU. This is something else that was really interesting. Um, uh, up to 40 players per year were married. Usually 30 to 40 was kind of the range that I was coaching um, around the team. But the breaks in between semesters were engagement and marriage times. And so what I found early on, too, was at, at BYU, uh, there were honeymoons that were corresponding with bowl games. So players are getting married at the end of the semester. And the bowl game experience ended up being the first trip where husband and wife were now together while we're going to play a football game. And that was an amazing experience. At the same time, right, you're managing your roster and you'd like to get as much young work, young player work, what we call developmental practices as possible. However, during that time, the coaches are recruiting and looking to staff the new team when really the players need the one-on-one -on -one coaching the most. So you sometimes have a skeleton staff for a developmental practice, which needs the most individual attention which then ends up really not being the most productive way to do it anyway. And this is all because of time constraints and especially with the early bowl game. And then you're looking at your, the older part of your roster and seeing how healthy they are, how motivated they are. It's been a long season and how much break do they need and what level of break is it lifting and running only? Is it just a complete three or four days just to get away? And so you're making all those assessments in real time while the approaching deadline of the game is coming uh, as a first time head coach. And so I have a much better idea now, but I wasn't aware early on of <laughs> all the variables that were going to be coming uh, my way at that time. And then uh, based on, again, the timing of the game, uh, grade reports come in. And sometimes uh, there are surprises where maybe a player hadn't done as well as he expected, or maybe didn't pass a class that he needed to be eligible, which then all of a sudden changes your roster management. And and lastly, I know I've gone through a lot already, um, assistant coaches uh, at that time are making decisions as they're being suited by other staffs. Head coaches are involved in searches. And, and this is where the beginning of this process, I think, really started, where head coaches were leaving their programs before their bowl game, which really um, sig sig signified or really made it very clear at that point how important that bowl game was to the program. If the head coach was not going to be there and was going to leave, or if assistant coaches were going to leave, now the transfer portal's there where you're not sure you'll have even your same team as your coaches go off to recruit. Current members of your own team might be leaving. And so really what it's turned into now, and a really long-winded answer to your question, is what team you're playing the bowl game with and under what conditions really does not resemble in any way, shape, or form by rule now. There are exceptions of what that team looked like going through the year. And so that's kind of the new twist. Um, and as a solution, the, the NFL is really clear on who can contact a coach and at what time. And a lot of times it's up, it has to be three days after their last game. And um, there's different um, sub points for playoffs, et cetera. The, the, the college calendar is getting really challenging. And with the 12 team playoff, it's gonna be even more challenging. But these windows of when, communica when communication can happen, I sure like the idea of a coach and coaching staff and players playing from beginning to end and then without restricting any access to what their movements might be just making that window as much as possible and i already know the challenges was we had todd berry on last week and trying to make it a one semester game but really uh 
this is, um, there's a lot of life lessons here that are really challenging when there's still work to be done um, and a finish line to be met. And leaders, player and coach leaders, then um, are not with their team to finish. And so somewhere in there, I think there's a moral dilemma um, that has to be constructed and, and processes and design elements to maybe address that. Yeah, I mean, I think we see it pretty much every every coaching cycle uh, nowadays. You know, kind of after the bulls are announced, you, you'll you'll see the just the the quickness of of guys getting hired, and, and basically there is no time to kind of inform their team or, or have those team meetings to let them know. And uh, you, you'll you'll see it probably every every cycle. It seems like there there's a media story where so and so just kind of texted the team, and, and that does kind of feel like what we're just where we're at in in terms of the calendar. There and there's no way texting the team is appropriate, right? The, these are relationships. These are young people that. You're working day in and day out to help mentor, guide, and develop. And, and I remember wrestling with that decision. When I chose to leave Brigham Young, we still had a, a game left, uh, the Las Vegas Bowl against Utah, um, which at that point, the game wasn't being played yearly, but who would have guessed that you know we would match up in, in the bowl game? And I, I told the team right that I was leaving to take another job, but that I wanted to stay to, to coach that game. And so there's this delicate balance of transparency and I realized also they were going to have to allow me to coach him at that point, um, because that, that's a hard message to share with a team that you care about. And I'd been with them 11 years. And uh, there's mixed feelings, right? There are players that just would assume that, to have you gone if you've made your decision. There are others that are reconciling and they want to be with you as long as possible, but they know it's not the same. There are others that are kind of mature enough to see all the things that play into that. And that the head coach is trying to do his best, not only to finish with his existing team, but be as loyal as possible to the new team that's hiring him. Uh, and so each leader has to, to wrestle with that. But I remember the looks on the faces of my team and, and this, uh, man, the scope and scale of responses. And there were those that were fiercely angry. Um, there were those that were so sad. There were others that were just kind of stunned and then everything in between. And so if you put that into play, even for a position coach let, let, or an offensive or defensive coordinator that has great relationships with their team. So this happens subunits by position or side of the ball. And then the thought for those kids that they they play that game the same way. That's that's a lot to ask while they're going through, the, I would say, the grieving process and the readjustment process um, when it's not the same and you can't pretend it's the same. And so when you see practices being slightly different in the energy and effort and intent, it, it's it's hard not to be empathetic. Uh, and it's hard also to be empathetic because you wanna help the team prepare to give them their best gift possible to close out that whole era. And then there's a lot to that. Um, and so all that's happening now is, as you said, the coaches cycle, that was a huge part of it. Well, now with the portal, what the coaches are getting a glimpse of is what that feels like on the other end when key players are now leaving before a bowl game or choosing not to play in a bowl game. And, and I'm not sure, and, and there'll be plenty of arguments and, and sometimes my colleagues don't like me to say this, but um, I, I believe it's the same feeling of loss for a coach losing an amazing player to another program prior to a bowl game or, or leaving the program as it is for a young person to lose a leader, mentor, friend, advisor, in the same context. And so to me, the calendar right now um, really makes the bowl season more challenging uh, and, and in a very unique way. 
Well, I mean, speaking of the Las Vegas, well, we're, we're kind of seeing that a, l- a little bit. Florida's, you know, lost their, their quarterback to the NFL. They, they had a bunch of players transfer. So, you know, that 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 Florida team that uh, Billy Napier has is, is much different going into that game than, than he actually had during the season. And, and that's pretty much the case uh, across the board nowadays and, and probably a contributing factor there in terms of some of the crazy results. I, I guess we could say in terms of, oh, this team is won nine games, but they end up getting upset by somebody that's six and six. We're seeing that more and more. But I, I do want to kind of go back to, to one of your earlier points there just in terms of those practices. Practices. I know how much head coaches value that time, especially with their you know freshmen, sophomores, maybe guys that did not get into the games as, as much as they would have liked to. How, how valuable and, and what do you ultimately like to focus on in terms of those early practices with those younger guys to kind of help lead into the next season? Other than spring practice, which is my favorite time of player. No, I'll, I'll take that back. The off season is my favorite time. The off season, meaning winter the winter semester, which isn't off, but it's just focused on lifting and running and conditioning and a culture. That's my favorite time. Spring practice is my second favorite time. My third favorite time is not the fall. My third favorite time is this window of practice before the bowl game with younger players. I love player development. It it just, I love seeing people become and grow and develop. And so many times we would, uh, uh, the older players would not be practicing. They would just be lifting or slash running during practice, a developmental practice for the younger roster. And the younger roster doesn't mean just younger players. It could mean players that were in the two deep, but their, um, uh, the player in front of them was playing so many significant snaps that even as a backup, they weren't getting, um, quite frankly, the game reps. And so anyway, we worked really hard to construct um, those practices with the staff that we could put together while recruiting was going on um, to ensure that the growth was happening. And and the magic that comes with that by working so hard to be bowl eligible is that your program can advance at a more rapid pace than the schools that don't qualify. And so we were able to make clearer assessments of where our team for the future would be after those developmental practices and what our recruiting needs might be and or and or the time frame a given player might need. Uh, to when he's really going to contribute. So sometimes in those bowl practices, we'd say next year he will be the starter and will totally be ready based on what we've seen. Or he might say that's he's one year away, right? And and so then we'd work to try to staff that without that small um, window of developmental practices. And it could be small or large based on when you're practicing. And the NCA in this part does a nice job because they limit the number of practice days you have. They make that a common, right? So there's no extra advantage by... Um, by when your bowl game is that process. So right, every person wants to be wanted and needed. And so many times the players that might be younger or down farther on the depth chart, while you work hard as a coach to give individual attention to everyone and under this idea that everybody is somebody right. And making them feel that way. It was so much fun to see them smile and listen and be, and, and just soak up any individual attention you could give them in the context of the rest of the team uh, uh, going on about their academic and conditioning work and and your whole practice structure, and they knew it was designed to help them. And gratitude, they were grateful and appreciative. And you could see just simply through praise and attention and high expectations, they were becoming someone they weren't in a pretty short amount of time. And that that's, um, I love that part of it, more so than even getting on the plane and heading to the destination I loved that part leading up to it. And, and one thing that we, we quite frankly didn't address, and this is, this is unique as well, um, and other head coaches I'm sure can feel this way. So uh, when you go to the bowl game, uh, the families of the coaches go with you. 
And so the coach's wives go, but also their children go. And so the team, normally when you, you travel to an away game, right, it's, a, it's more of a SEAL team, special forces. It's just us unit. And now there, a lot of times there's multiple planes and the players are seeing coaches in a different light with their families, which is a good thing on the bus. But there's little kids and Cheerios and strollers and binkies and bubbies and 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 teenagers on phones. And and so um, the coaches, assistant coaches have a really unique challenge as well. To help their own families understand that you're actually going to play the game. It's a reward for the family. And sometimes based on. Uh, just the dynamic of your staff. Sometimes each family wants to view that and have it customized as their own recreational experience for the holidays. <laughs> when 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 you're really going again with the idea to to win a football game, and so that part, uh, many head coaches have expressed to me because you don't want to be the head coach curmudgeon of not um, allowing the families to enjoy the holiday season with their dad, who's been gone all year and with the team and the players he's coaching. And yet it requires a, a really high level of maturity from not only the spouses, but the children of the coaches, but also the players to then be able to, it's football time. Oh, now it's the activity time on a daily basis, right? So they have to turn the dial. It's practice, it's meetings, we're this way. And then you turn it the other way. And this is because each bowl has activities every day. And then you're racing go-karts or you're swimming or you're, you know, you're at a mu amusement park or in a NASCAR, uh, uh, car going around a track, you know, 5 million miles an hour. And, and so there's this really unique challenge for all of us, grownups and players to then be able to, um, to, to, again, I would say, move the dial forward to maturity and focus to backwards to recreation and leisure. And that oscillation so many times with a younger team is difficult and gets in the way of how you perform at the bowl game. And sometimes decisions that are made while you're there that those young people have to be sent home because they weren't able to switch back and forth or they weren't able to to keep it within the bounds of what the, the rules of engagement were. Um, but sometimes the more mature teams, they have an amazing experience. They practice well, they play well, or they, they go to meetings and they're focused. And then they have the best time I've ever seen at the activities. But then the player leaders, they get them right back to um, being focused when they need to. And I found that wasn't only difficult for younger people, meaning the players, but I found, and I saw families struggle with that, trying to put, have their dad in that context of which role is he in now? And like, can we really have fun now during the activity or is, is he the stern, you know, like what, what, which dad is this? And so that's another sub dynamic that was going on. You know, it, it's funny. You, you mentioned that. I, I know I was covering uh, the, one of the semifinals one time and, and I think Clemson took a 747. They had so many families and, and whatnot coming in and that, that, you know, that's, that's a major game. You would think they would, uh, Dabo would want to kind of eliminate distractions, but uh, you know, everybody, everybody on board uh, to, to a lot of those activities. But you know, you also mentioned it earlier. I mean, this, especially those early games, they, it, they are coming at a, at a crucial time in terms of recruiting. You, you don't get too many opportunities to kind of get out there and, and it's not only see recruits, but um, you know, bring them on campus for official visits. Sometimes unofficial visit what what is that like kind of not only managing yes you have to play a game but it's also a critical time you know especially given the early signing period nowadays to hey we, we, we've got still got to recruit i talked to a coach yesterday and uh, um i just kind of laughed and i said what are you doing just laying around because i knew what was going on and so right they had recruits coming on grounds for a weekend while they had started bowl practices um and they were managing their own roster in terms of the portal with um, quite frankly, 
tampering happening, which it, we have to get a handle on that in college football because it's not being regulated very well. So players on their own team trying to decide to stay or to leave. So the coaches are managing that as well as managing potential players that are coming in on the visit to make sure they get enough attention and then coaching their team during practice at the, <laughs> at the same time. And by the way, this particular coach is being sought after by another program um, as a as a, uh, a candidate to move up from possibly either a position to coordinator or coordinator to head coach. So I, I, um, all that's happening at the same time. <laughs> and by the way, at home, um, those families of the coaches are expecting a great Christmas and a dad to be the dad. And so, yeah, the, the, the recruiting part of it, the individual attention to these prospects coming in is vital. However, um, choices have to be made and your own roster still has to come first, right? Just by, it seems to me, just morally, they have to come first by what they've demonstrated. And so when you think about that, uh, if the, your own roster needs, uh, when the recruits come in at a moment when your own roster or your own position group needs all kinds of attention, the chance then that the recruit has a great experience is less than likely. And then what if at home there are challenges with your own children as they grow and mature through junior high or high school and and the dad and mom are working to do that as well. And pretty soon uh, there comes this, you're, you're kind of trying, you're doing a lot of things not very well. And I heard a great talk one time that was labeled good, better, best. And I think all of us as leaders at that time, you then have to prioritize what, what is the best thing I could do right now? Because <laughs> all these things are good, right? Then what's the next, what's the better thing I could do? And then what's, the good thing I could do it. And sometimes it just doesn't work out how you'd hope. And again, the bowl season against the academic calendar and especially the early games, but now the transfer portal and the early signing date, right? It's created this perfect storm. Paul Gustafson was, is a mentor of mine and he has this a principle that says organizations are perfectly designed for the results they get. So our calendar currently um, in college football versus the bowl season is in creating this storm. And again, the ideal to me would be um, after the last game is played by every team, right? Then the portal opens, then coaches can change jobs, et cetera, et cetera. And I already know the downside against that, meaning how long that might take uh, at, or maybe having to starting the, start the season earlier. But until then, what we're you and I are talking about, I think is just what it's like to manage the existing calendar as it is. Well, you know, speaking of the calendar, we, we did have uh, Todd Berry on last week. We discussed a, a little bit of that. We might get some, some clarity, at least a, a little bit uh, after the NCAA convention there there in January, some some changes, especially in terms of recruiting days and all that. So maybe that will be, bring a little bit more of, of uh, you know, structure to, to a little bit of the chaos that we experience at the end of the season. But Hey, it's it's going to change again with that college football playoff in terms of the dates and everything compacting. So it is it is a lot to manage. And and you mentioned the the transfer portal. How how big of an impact has that just been in terms of you? You're basically not only recruiting recruiting guys to, to come to school from out of high school, but it, it is a massive operation now for for a lot of these coaches to not only keep their teams kind of in the fold for for these games, but also say, hey, you know what? I I have a spot for for an extra wide receiver. I, I need a left tackle. I you know you're, you're also managing the transfer portal. I, I would imagine that is just the, the additional layer that is complicating everything right now. It, it is, and and here's the next part. That timing and urgency um, is is the tip of the spear and the priority over everything else. And quite frankly, and I'm gonna say this bluntly, 
the development of programs is really a thing of the past. This now becomes in college football, what will my team look like in 2023? And really hardly anyone is looking beyond that. And so the portal now is, and this new era is really having teams focus on one year at a time, one need at a time. And that's a little bit exaggerated the way I presented it because there are still high school recruiting and some succession planning still being considered, but that is secondary to the individual needs to make sure you play well the following year. And with the money that we're making as head coaches and the time frame and the expectations that that creates, if you're not successful within two and a half years of taking over a program, the chance that you remain is, is quite frankly, not going to happen. And so back to your point of the portal and here, here's what's happening. Players, um, the number one reason in my experience that they leave to go from one place to another is to gain an increased role on the field, right? They want to play more or be used differently or to add more value. Very seldom are they leaving because they're disgruntled with a coach or disgruntled with the program. It simply is they want an increased role. When coaches leave, they usually go from a, a position coach to a coordinator or a coordinator to head coach. They're, using, they're doing the same thing, right? They're leaving to increase roles. So what's happening now is those players want to arrive at their new program prior to the beginning of the winter semester. And so what's happening now is another thing back to these um, bowl challenges or bowl opportunities. And by the way, the se bowl season is great. I I'm presenting it with the challenges, but it's an amazing and exciting and wonderful time. And you have to try to keep that in context while all this is going on because uh, you've worked so hard to get there. But the players, when they transfer, they want to be there before the semester so they can be there for winter conditioning, have a great spring, establish themselves and and right they're they're not they're not transferring just to be in the program they really want to make a difference so what's happening now is many teams i shouldn't say many some teams um when a player in the portal has committed to them right and if the bowl game is a little bit later those kids have a chance to join that team in bowl practices um in preparation for or to be around the team right to see what that new team is going to look like prior to them arriving and playing. And so there's, there'll have to be some kind of rule education and tweaks along that way. Um, but, and as you know, right, once a, um, a player practices with your program after he's transferred, right, that counts, he's now kind of locked in. And so it wouldn't surprise me to see that kind of trend happening where um, uh, this push to embed and get the players as soon as possible into the bowl prep, even though they're coming from another team, just to cement the commitment. And again, rules, education and how that um, uh, and some of those modifications, right, those have to be updated as you just keep going with what this new world looks like. Well, it, it is a good experience. So I, I do think that is, is, is worth re, you know, re, reemphasizing just because I think for whether, whether you're a bull director out there, whether you're a fan that gets to attend, you know, places that you typically don't have, or, or even if you're just watching at home, you typically get some matchups that uh, you, you don't get in the regular season, whether they're, you know, big names or kind of even for some of the smaller bowls, but you, you did end up, you know, there at Virginia, you, you made an orange bowl and, and that's one of the new year six. That is one of very, very one of the very prestigious, one of the very first uh, bowl games are around. I, I'm curious if it, was that experience kind of different from your, your, your normal typical bowl games that you would have kind of before Christmas? Wow. Um, th there's two parts to that. Yes and no. The amount of time that you're practicing and your scheduling and your player management and program management is different because a New Year's Six game is different than the games that will be played this, this next weekend, I think starting the 16th, right? There's, that's a, a much faster cadence 
And even though there's similar things to manage, you don't have to manage them as long. When you play in a, in a New Year's Six game, that cadence and some challenges, then possibly even your team goes home for a while uh, and possibly they get Christmas at home and then they come back. You know, there's other decisions to be made and and relying on your player leaders to help you with input as to right the hearts and minds of the team and where that is. And also, right, you're you're working hard to, to manage parents at the time of the holiday season, um, because what family doesn't want their son with them? And, and so those are unique challenges. Uh, however, the magnitude, so the thing that the Orange Bowl or the New Year's Six or different bowls do that um, some are better than others are really, they make your team and your staff and your program feel special. And that they are special because they qualified for this game. They've worked so hard and and some of the bowl games do such a nice job of reinforcing the work that it's taken, how glad they are that you're there and then the fans showing appreciation and and quite frankly, planning and so excited to leave for the holidays to go to watch their team play a football game is a magical thing. And I remember standing um, sometimes when you're introduced as the head coach of a new program, you know, they, they prayed you out at the basketball game on the on the wood and you get the microphone and, and you're supposed to say something of impact. Right. And I remember my first year saying, don't make any plans for the holidays from this point on. And uh, my first year, I did not live up to that promise. The other years at UVA, we did. That was the only one in my whole career uh, that we didn't. But I, I, I love the, the thought that the families can look forward to where are we going this year. It'll be fun to see who we match up against and what destination we get to go this year. So I think for the players, that's really fun, even though there's always a destination for the champion. You know, that's where you want to go. But then there's these other options and the fans there becomes an intrigue that builds up to uh, the announcement day of when you're going to play and who you're going to play. And it's really, really fun uh, for an entire community. And to say that that doesn't lift a community um, through football uh, would be an understatement. It elevates a community through excitement and it unifies and galvanizes. And you see, um, based on how far away, you'll see uh, cars going down the road, passing your buses. You see people in the airport, the hotel, and you're unified because of a similar cause or colors. And, and that's really fun. I, it definitely is. And certainly fun for, for the experience, just for, for everybody involved. But I'm kind of curious for, from the head coach's perspective, you're doing a press conference pretty much every day. You, you got coordinators sometimes that tend to not speak during the season, you know, kind of forced to speak a, a little bit at, at times during uh, not only the New Year Six games, but some of that you you have just the demands. You're probably shaking hands with boosters a little bit more uh, during some of these road trips. I, well, what is that experience like for, from a head coach and just in terms of the demands that you might have versus, say, even a, a normal game? I look back and I saw someone sent me a press conference that I did when I was uh, at the Orange Bowl. And I look terrible. I mean, I, I look like I had just been, I mean, I look bad. And I said, I told Holly, I go, did I look like, how long did I look like this? And she just said the whole time we were there. And I, I mean, I felt terrible. Uh, but I remember in most cases, when you walk on to the field on game day and you see the other coach, you both smile and kind of shake your heads and you, and you shake hands and saying, I'm so glad we're at the game. I mean, you're, you're, there's this sense of relief even before you've played the game that you just made it to <laughs> to the game because of just what you said, all these other things that are kind of not football related, however, but are important, right? To promote your program, to promote your players, to, to be the ambassador for your program, to try to share a message that really will impact people and help. And, and so 
it isn't a complaint. It just is an additional component that comes with this season. And, and uh, until I saw myself, I just was like, wait, who, who is that? And, and it, it takes its toll. The coach. So uh, one, one story, just, just to, to, to share quickly. Um, we were playing and I, I can't even remember the opponent. Uh, oh yes, I can. It was uh, Jeff Tedford at Cal. And this is when I first became the, uh, the coach at BYU. And, and, and he comes across the field uh, to, to start the game and he's kind of shaking his head and I'm shaking my head because the number of, of players with children at BYU was significant. And then we had a few that their honeymoons were happening. And so I was kind of managing that and that was in my space. Well, they're, the hotel they're staying at in Las Vegas ends up, I think there's a Victoria's Secret fashion show happening <laughs> and his players are, are at that hotel. And, and he was just shaking his head as to what managing that had been like. And so I was coming from managing kids and strollers and and um, and honeymoons, and he was coming from a, a fashion show of, of lingerie models, basically. <laughs> and we're talking before the game. I don't remember much about the game other than we fell short in a two minute drive. I remember that. But I remember the conversation before. And, and who would have guessed? Right. But that's what we were talking about. You know, when the cameras show you before the game and the two coaches are talking, <laughs> we're, we're like, wow, how? Who would have known that that's what this one was going to be like? Well, if lingerie models and, and strollers does not sum up the uh, postseason bowl experience, I, I I don't know what what will. But, I, but before we get you out of here, I, I know we, we were just a little bit before we, we kind of jumped on it and hit the record button. But um, you were part of you know kind of two years where you didn't get to play in a bowl. You, you guys qualified, but you, you didn't end up going because of COVID. Uh, what, what was that experience like? Because I, I know everybody felt it was such a difficult time. You know, nowadays for to, to play. You know, during that that period in college football, and, and I would imagine it was a, a blow. But you can also kind understand what, why it ended up happening. Wow. Uh, the COVID-19 year, first of all, uh, I really didn't believe we should play football. When, when those decisions were being made, I didn't think we had enough information and our team wanted to play. They asked me to coach them and I agreed and we qualified for postseason. Um, but early on, it was expressed that they would get to choose how long we played, meaning they would get to choose if we played in a bowl game. And by the time we made it to the end of that season with all the protocols and the isolation and the testing and the different things that we were doing at practice to make sure everyone stayed safe. Uh, the team leaders at that point, and I allowed them, they said, coach, we've had enough. Um, thank you. Um, and that was, that was hard for me, um, but necessary to let them choose. I thought uh, I let them choose whether we were going to play or not. And I let them choose how long we were going to play. And that, those were the, con- those were the conditions in which we operated. And there was part of me that didn't felt like feel right. Cause we didn't finish the season. But there's also part of me that felt empowered because these team leaders were with they knew what they were choosing and what it was. And and um, they might choose differently now, as some of them have expressed. But the toll that the 19 year took COVID-19 year, it's hard to underestimate what that really was like. Um, And I was um, in my heart, I was kind of hoping we would play just to finish that year. But I, I didn't make that known unless they asked me because I wanted them to truly be able to choose. And then the next year. We qualify again for postseason. Our equipment truck is gone. Um, we're getting ready to load buses and the team's uh, second to last test, um, roughly a third of our team comes with the Omicron variant. And so I'm meeting with my coaches and we're saying who could play, which guys could go both ways, what positions can't we function? We had one quarterback left at that time. Um, and we thought we might be able to play even with others player, other players uh, going both ways. And, and then the next test 
basically another third of our team was wiped out. After really no issues the entire year, we're literally the day before the game, um, excuse me, a day before departure, and the last two tests, um, two-thirds of our team, and we were still looking to, okay, we'll have maybe, I don't know, 40 players um, who can play quarterback. Did anyone play quarterback in high school? Or, you know, and, and, and so we're, and ultimately we, there was a few positions. We just did not have options. And we had a, basically a third of our team left and we couldn't figure out a way to, to play a game. And, and so those two experiences, um, we were, we were set to play in Fenway park, which was going to be really fun in Boston. And we're going to play SMU and our team was looking forward to it. And I was looking forward to it. And, and it came out of nowhere again with hardly any issues that entire year and the previous year managing it really well. And it just showed how fast. And so those two memories are in a different way, every bit as impactful to me as the two I mentioned earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're not alone. I mean, a couple of ACC teams alone, uh, that, that's that same year, you know, we're ended up uh, getting impacted and, and not having their bowl, uh, games played. So it, it, it is a fun time of year though. I, I think for, for all involved and, and as much as we did talk about, uh, some of the issues that I think the programs themselves face, you know, when, when you get out to uh, to kickoff, you know, that, that kind of all melts away and we get to experience uh, the, the kind of joy of college football, especially, you know, playing teams that uh, we, we don't get to uh, all that often, but uh, Bronco, I, I appreciate the time. I know we got some, some great guests lined up in the next couple of weeks as well, but uh, it, it's, it's bowl season. Hopefully you'll be even able to, uh, to get off the ranch a little bit and uh, stop, stop roping uh, as much as you have been and, and actually tune in for a few of these bowl games. You know, the, the one thing I do want to say just to finish is that um, I, I endorse the bowl game season and I think it's a wonderful, um, even though we were pointing out some of the things that, that were challenges. Um, I think it's a great experience for programs, for families, for players, um, and, and I don't, I don't endorse, um, that being restricted or limited. I think it's really healthy and vibrant. Um, the, the purpose of this podcast was just to maybe point out some of the things that folks hadn't pull back the curtain a little bit to see what it's really like going behind the scenes until you get to kickoff. And, um, but I, I love the season. I love the games. Um, I love the matchups as you're saying, and I think it's, it's good for the development of young people. It's good for families. It's good for alumni. It's good for institutions. And it's just, um, I think, a really positive aspect of college athletics overall. I, I completely agree. I'll, I'll be at a, at a couple as well, and uh, it'll be make for not only a fun month of December, but leading into uh, 2023. Can't wait to see the kickoff for a lot of these games. Hopefully, like you said, we, we did peel back the curtain just a little bit. That's kind of what this this whole podcast has been designed to do. And we'll have a few head coaches to kind of do that uh, for, for their programs as well going forward. But uh, for the former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall, I'm Brian Fisher. Thanks to our special sponsor, War Room. Uh, we'll catch you again next week.